Welcome to Not The Way I Planned. I'm Carly Cash, and if you've ever found yourself thinking, this is not the way I thought my life would turn out, you've come to the right place. Each week we'll have inspiring interviews, plus tips and tricks to living your best life, even if it's not the life you planned. My guest today is Nathan Ogden, and I am so excited because he is a motivational speaker. He's an author. He heads up a really cool nonprofit called Chair the Hope, and he just so happens to be paralyzed. And Nathan, I, your story just encompasses everything that I want to accomplish with my Not The Way I Planned project because I really want people to learn to find joy and happiness and fulfillment in life, even when their world gets turned upside down, which hey. happens. <laughs> well, I'm excited to be here. I think this is really fun. I, I love to be able to do anything to help others get the hope and the strength that they mm-hmm. need to whatever trial they're having, you can make it. And so if anything I can say can help, let's do it. Cool. So I want to know... As you were growing up and you became a man, what were your hopes and dreams for your life? What did that look like for you? Uh, well, I grew up in Boise, um, went to Capitol High School and stuff. But I, I think my dreams and kind of hopes growing up was to marry a girl cuter than my best friend's wife. <laughs> I'm not going to say I've whether that happened she, or not. She's beautiful, so I don't know about your best friend's wife, but no, you. I'd, just, I think it was just to, I loved adventure. I loved to have fun. I, yeah. I like that. It doesn't mean I didn't, I wasn't scared of things. I, I think I was a little self-conscious about a lot of aspects of my life. And, um, but I, I wanted to just have a good family. I wanted to have a good home. I didn't, I don't feel I needed to be a multimillionaire. Mm-hmm. Um, just the American wanted, dream. But I, but I did want to have a good job, um, probably higher up in a company, to be honest, you know, an executive in some way or owning my own business um, and be able to have the flexibility to travel and to, to live life that way. My dad was a, he's a world traveler. He's been everywhere and um, he's always kind of taught us to do that. And uh, his, his whole model is uh, live adventure. And, you know, if we were sitting watching TV, he's like, why are you watching TV? Go go make adventure. Don't watch someone right. else do it. Yeah, that's very cool. And uh, so I think that was some of my stuff. I didn't have like huge dreams to change the world or do anything like that, but just to have a good family, a home. And and um, really live life. Yeah, and just live life. Mm-hmm. So where were you at in life on that fateful day when you were on the mountain back in 2001? What, what was life like for you at that point? Um, well, I was 26 years old. My wife's two years younger than me. We had a little girl, two-year-old named Senia, and a almost one-year-old boy named Kyler. Mm-hmm. And we had bought our first home. I'd graduated from college. Um, my career was taking off. And you still struggle. We're newlyweds. For, we'd only been married four and a half years. Um, 9-11 had just happened. My job dealt a lot with the airport at the time, and so it was pretty stressful. And uh, my wife's from Bend, Oregon, and so I took a week off of work. And for Christmas, we went to Bend, Oregon um, to just relax and mm-hmm. enjoy. And so it was three days before Christmas. Um, 
I went up skiing at Mount Bachelor, a really gorgeous resort over in Bend with my younger brother-in-law. And uh, we were up skiing, and I, I grew up skiing. I love skiing. I was pretty good at it. I wasn't, like, Olympic good. Mm-hmm. But you were but, confident but on I, the slopes. Yeah, I love going off jumps. I love speed. I even like wrecking. <laughs> um, and my brother-in-law, came, we came around at our last turn before we were going to eat lunch, coming down our last run. And as we came around the trees at the top, we looked down this run, and there was two big jumps. And to the right of the second jump, there's about 25 to 30 people that were sitting watching as others came off this jump. And my brother-in-law, he skied down and sat with the people, and I waited. There were about two people in front of me taking turns. And it was my turn, and I jumped up, flipped my ski, started pushing down the hill, and I hit the jump, and I didn't hit it hard enough. So I kind of, it was a long jump. It's called a tabletop jump. And I went up, and I slapped on the top of it, and I went off the other side. It didn't hurt or anything. It just wasn't the way it should have been. Mm-hmm. So as I'm coming up on this second jump, it's lightly snowing. I can't see it real clearly, but it looks a lot like the first jump. And now I've got all these people watching me. Right. So my confidence in my skiing abilities turns to cockiness. <laughs> and instead of being cautious and not hitting it really hard the first time, I tucked in tight and went straight into the middle of this jump. And the second I hit it, I knew I was in trouble. Because instead of shooting you out and up like a jump should, I went almost straight up into the air, um, oh, wow. 30 feet into the air. So if you need to picture that, it's like three basketball rims high. Yeah. I've never been that high. I never want to go that high. I, I don't either. <laughs> but I, I remember all this, and I, I went up. I slowly rotated backwards. I came down, and I landed on my neck, and my body collapsed down on top of me. And my skis and poles went flying. Everything um, was sliding. I ended up in a fetal position facing downhill. And my first instinct was, crap, I look like such an idiot. I, you know, I got to get up. Everyone it, just It wasn't that I'm seriously injured. No, I had no problem. I mean, I hit hard. I knew that I smacked hard, but I needed to get up because I look like such a dork in front of all these people. So I tried to get up, and all I could do is move my left arm a little bit. So I thought I knocked the wind out of myself. I waited a few more moments, and I tried it again, and I could only move my arm about halfway as high as I did the first time. And there started to be this burning pain throughout my body, like everywhere. And Mm -hmm. it I don't know how to explain it, but it almost feels like if you were sitting up in the mountains around a campfire and someone came up behind you, picked you up, and set you in the fire. That intense. And you just start burning. Wow. And I still feel that today. I feel it. You have a burning sensation. Yeah. I have some medicine that helps it a little bit, but not much. And it also started getting harder and harder for me to breathe. And I remember looking at my legs. I can still picture this today, looking at my legs and thinking, get up. Why can't I get up? Yeah, you couldn't even make sense of it in your brain. Throughout my life, I've wrecked a million times and all the different sports I've played and the dumb things I've done. I've fallen, I get hurt, I get up, I limp away, and then I'm better. Yeah. But why can't I get up? And that was hard for me to grasp. Um, But I still, in my mind, think, you know what? My body's in shock. Give it a couple hours. 
They'll Maybe take you've me off the hill. Broken something. Yeah, or, you know, yeah. I'd, I mean, whatever. Not I'll, your neck, I'll but be fine. yeah. Give it a few hours. Christmas is coming. I'm okay. And they get me off the hill. They get me to the hospital. They take all the X-rays. And what I hadn't realized is that when I landed on my neck, I shattered my C7 vertebrae. So if anyone's listening, you can reach to the back of your neck, and the bottom part of your neck is the biggest bone sticking out. That's your C7 vertebrae. And that exploded and sent bone fragments throughout my neck and into my spinal cord, instantly paralyzing me. But I'm still thinking I'm going to walk. No one has told you at this point. No. I think they had told my wife before I went to sleep, after all the x-rays and everything, they put me in traction and I, I was really wore out. I said, guys, I just want to go to sleep. Yeah. So they gave me some medicine to go to sleep. And I don't remember the next three days. Christmas went by. I don't remember a thing. And when I woke up, I'll have to make this short, but when I woke up, I remember no one was in the room. On the left side of me, the clock's on the wall, and I'm trying to read it, and I can't. It was just, everything was blurry. And that burning pain all of a sudden hit me. It was back again. And it was so strong. And then my wife came walking in right then and that burning pain stopped for a moment as she walked up and grabbed my hand and said Nathan I'm here I love you and I quickly replied I love you too don't worry it's going to be okay we're all right I'll take care of you guys yeah because you've got all that responsibility on your shoulders too as you're saying the hospital you've got a family that you take care of and I still I think it's only been a couple hours that I've been sleeping I don't know it's been days later right and, but when I said those words, nothing came out of my mouth. And I tried to squeeze my wife's hand and I couldn't squeeze her hand. And then I started to panic a little bit. And I'm like, why, why can't I move? And I couldn't move my arm. I couldn't move my leg. I couldn't even sit up to look around. And then my wife went and got a mirror and she held it over my head. And, uh, I had... A feeding tube up my nose all the way down into my stomach. I had wires and hoses, whatever they could stuck in every part of my body you can do. I don't even think they needed that many. Um, and then I had a halo. If you've seen people in those halos, not a yeah. gold fun one. No. But it's screwed into your skull in four places. That's how they hold it in. And it holds your neck in place to allow the swelling to be under control. Okay. And... Uh, I think all of that I could have dealt with fine. It was that I couldn't communicate because they had cut a hole in my throat. You've seen those commercials, like the smoking yes. commercials? Yeah. So they cut a hole and hooked a ventilator machine breathe, to breathe for me. So you, you, you so couldn't breathe on your own? I think I may have been able to, but they didn't want to risk it with me being out. Right. So no air is going past my vocal cords which means that I can't talk. So literally at that, at that moment, I came to realize that the only thing I could do for myself was blink physically. And that killed me. That I, was I so hard on me because I couldn't let my wife know that it'll be all right. Right. And, uh, but I still knew in my mind, I I'm going to get through this. And I have an amazing wife who 
she's strong and she never doubted. She's like, you're going to walk too. We're going to, we're going to do this together because I fully believe that nobody gets anywhere in life by themselves. I completely agree. Some people may say, I did this all on my own. I'm a success because that's bull. Somebody helps you along the way. Somebody gives you a little lift when you need it or the opportunity that wasn't there before. Yes. And we may not always recognize that, but it's there. I couldn't agree more. So I don't, without, there were two things that helped me through that. Um, one was my faith in God, mm-hmm. that there's a purpose for this. Because I think we all have to have a purpose. If you don't yeah. have a purpose, if there's nothing there, then what are you fighting for? You can't make sense of, of tragedy without Mm-mm. purpose. <laughs> and the second was my family. It was that I had a wife and kids and... That was my responsibility. I didn't want to pass away, even though there were times I've thought about it. Um, but it was my job to be there for them. Did someone come in and have a conversation with you at some point and say, this is your condition and this is your reality? I, they did come. They told my wife that there's a slim chance, but most likely I'll never walk again. And uh, I don't know when they told me that. You don't remember that conversation? And it may be because I didn't believe it. Yeah. Even when they told it, I was like, whatever. I'm not listening to you. <laughs> I, what I heard was the that people who have spinal cord injuries have a year or two that, that muscle and movement will come back. And so I was like, all right. You're going to cling to that hope. I got a year. Let's right. rock. And two years at the most. So let's mm-hmm. let's do the best we can. And I'm not going to say the next year was easy. It was very hard. A lot of surgeries or I was life and death a few different times. It was hard, hard on our family. Well, and I would think not just physically hard, but mentally it had to be very difficult. It is. It's Yeah. Physical side of things is easier than the mental side, Mm -hmm. I believe. And a lot of times we don't realize that. But if you're hiking up a really hard hill, like say you're hiking up Table Rock in the middle of the day and it's 100 degrees outside, you're sweating, you're tired, your muscles are aching, you don't want to do it, but your body can do it. It's your mind that's stopping you. Yeah, definitely. So I fully believe that. that it, it is your mind that will control your body, and you have to remember that. So you start doing physical therapy. What, what kind of steps were you taking to try and get some mobility back? Uh, a lot of therapy, a, a ton of therapy. We... Um, but you have to realize at the beginning, I still had a ventilator hooked up to me. So you were very limited in what you could do. I was extremely limited. Um, so I broke my neck in bend. After 22 days, they flew me back here to Boise, and uh, I went to the Elks Hospital and did all my therapy there. But, uh, yeah, I, was, I had to have some breathing done on me at, for quite a while, at least two months. I think it was two and a half months before they finally closed off the breathing tube, and took the halo off. So all my therapy, they're like trying to teach me how to roll on a bed, and you got a square deal screwed to your head. I'm like, this doesn't, that's not how it works, guys. Yeah. But it took me a few weeks, but finally I could. And, and during I, this time, could you speak? Did you regain that or no? Um, as it, yeah, after probably two weeks, I got to the point that um, we could start getting me off it periodically and then to the point we had it off but when I would be in my room we'd put me back on it for a little bit to give me strength in my lungs again 
then I'd go do therapy and I'd come back and, and it was tough. This is something I don't talk about much, but, and it'd be hard to, maybe hard to imagine this. So because of what I'm doing, part of my paralysis, it affected, it's like when you swallow water, there's a flap in your throat that flips over and puts it into your stomach. Mm -hmm. Then when you go to breathe, that flap goes back and goes into your lungs, the air. Well, that flap on me wasn't working properly. So when I first started to eat again, like they'd give me applesauce or pudding, and it would go into my lungs. Oh. And so then they take a long catheter, a long tube, that has basically a strong vacuum on the end, and they have to stick it down. Well, at that point, they'd stick it through that hole in my throat, mm-hmm. down into my lungs, and they're sucking out all this stuff. And that is one of the worst things I've ever, ever had done. It feels like you're you're suffocating because any th- air that you have there is being sucked out along through this with the machine, yeah. along with the food, and it's touching the inside of your lungs, and your lungs are so, so sensitive. And then you can feel it going down your throat. You got someone over you that's just kind of manipulating this catheter that's inside. It, oh, it is the miserable. worst feeling. And some miserable. of the, and you can't communicate with them to tell them to stop. If right. you're hurting or you feel like you're about to suffocate. You can't do anything. I can't say anything because there's no air going through my, past my vocal cords. And so it's, and that happened for months. I would have to have it done sometimes 15 times a day or more. Are and it serious? slowly tapers down. I got to the point I didn't trust the nurses. I didn't trust the doctors doing it. So they taught my wife how to do it. So when she was there, she would suction me out because I trusted her doing it. Yeah. It was, that was tough. That was a hard, hard thing to go through. But it was, it was, uh, I remember every night I would go to bed wanting to just sleep because you'd work so hard and you're in pain and you're uncomfortable. And and I'd roll over, they just suction out my lungs so I feel like I'm, I can breathe. And I'd roll over and everyone would leave the room and within two minutes, all of a sudden I could feel like some guck in there. You and you're in trouble. I couldn't breathe again. And I felt like I was going to suffocate every night, all wow. throughout the night. Wow. But okay, so you... a whole side note. <laughs> no, I think it's important to know some of those details of what you went through. So you work and work, slowly work to to regain some mobility and, and where do you get to? So over the next year, 13 months, I got back almost my whole upper body. Wow. Um, worked very hard and my, my hands were at about 90% and they were still coming back. So I could, I could pick up a glass, but it, if it was full of water, that was, I couldn't quite grip it, but it mm-hmm. was still coming. Um, I had really good arm strength and I was being able to transfer really good. I had a truck equipped so I could drive um, because they tried to put me in a minivan. And I was like, no, you can leave me in the hospital. You're not putting me in a minivan. (laughs) I've always driven a truck, a Ford truck. And so we, that was one of the things we did. We're like, you still have stuff you like, still dreams that you have. And I'm like, I want to drive a truck. So we figured out how to make a truck work so I could drive it. And, uh, And I drove here today for this interview. I'll be honest with you. I was completely amazed because uh, we had not met prior to this interview. And when I saw your truck, the first thing I thought was, well, where's Nathan and where's his wife? 
And then I, I, I saw inside your truck that you kind of had a hook up there. And I, I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, did he drive here? That That's incredible. And then as we started talking, you were like, oh, it's going to stop by. I get my oil changed. I mean, you're doing all the things you're doing. You're doing everything. I mean, maybe not everything, but you're doing no, things you're- that I wouldn't have expected you to be able to do. And, and that's a, a of, and that's a big one. I think a lot of people think that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> I probably would I would have thought that's scary. What is he what's a quadriplegic doing driving on the road? Um but uh we can get to some of that. But it was yeah. Why? I mean this stuff I like. I mean I drive my truck in the mountains, I go hunting, I we go do all types of stuff and I I probably drive in a lot of areas I should not be driving, mm-hmm. but that's what I, that I find joy in that. That's yeah. where I find some peace. Yeah. So you've got, you know, 90% of your upper body strength back. You're doing much better. You've, you've probably mentally are in a better place at this point. Exactly. My legs are even starting to move a tiny bit. Uh-huh. We were doing some really cool therapy where they put you up in the air and they're walking your legs for you on a treadmill. And there were moments that my leg would make a movement on its own to walk. Yeah. And so it was starting to come back. In my mind, I'm still going to walk. Sure. Now, I may not run around the mountains like I used to, but I will walk again. And seeing those little glimmers of hope, that, that keeps you going. That keeps you going. It does. Do this. Everything comes down to hope, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think hope is the most powerful word in the world. Because without hope, you have, I don't think you have anything. I think hope is what gives you, if you're stranded on a raft in the middle of the ocean, the only thing that can keep you going is the hope that a plane's going to come over or you're going to see a ship come. Yep. If you give up that hope, you're done. You're gone. And that happens in our lives in anything you're going through, whether it's a divorce or you lose a child through an accident or you're dealing with cancer or your spouse, um, something tragic happens. Maybe it's just you lost, it doesn't have to be a big physical thing. It could be that you you lost a job or the, the company that you started and, mm-hmm. it, and it went bankrupt. Whatever it is, if you lose hope that you can't get back from that, that's when depression sets in. That's when anxiety and frustration and everything gets control of you. Right. And then it's very hard to get out. So if you can keep hope, just a glimmer of hope, everything will happen. So we had, I had it's that huge. hope. I had a big hope at that time. We had modified my home so that I could get around. We, I was driving. I had started working full time again. And uh, we had our home. I had my family. We had our dreams. Yeah. Now, we may have to get to those dreams a little differently than we did sure, before. Sure, it looks a little different. But, but they're still there. Mm-hmm. And I came down with pneumonia because my lungs are a little weaker than most. And I went to sleep one night, and we were going to go to the hospital in the morning. My blood oxygen level dropped too low in the middle of the night, and I went unconscious. My wife woke up in the middle of the night, and she felt prompted to wake me up. Wow. She couldn't. She's, like, throwing water on me and hitting me. Yeah. She probably enjoyed some of that. (laughs) But she calls the ambulance. They rush in. They get me up. They take me to the hospital in Meridian, and... They've got me on the x-ray table. My wife's sitting outside the door. And there's just myself and the x-ray tech in there early in the morning. And I'm still unconscious. And I fell off the x-ray table and broke my neck again. Oh, my gosh. 
It's unfathomable. Like, I can't even wrap my brain around what are the odds that you would, you know, go through the skiing accident and then something like this yeah. happens. So that was not that was not the fault of the x-ray technician or anyone that you just fell or you don't know. We don't know. You don't know. OK, it, it was a, it was a it was kind of a big deal. Um, we don't know. I wasn't there was, should have probably been someone else in there watching um there are now a lot of things changed after that in how the hospitals handle this the type of stuff well and unfortunately it seems like so often bad things have to happen for that change to take place well and i get it i mean who's thinking that a guy who's paralyzed and unconscious is gonna move mm-hmm. but i can still have spasms in my legs and whatnot so we don't know whether someone bumped the x-ray table or i had a spasm whatever it was I end up on the ground, broke my neck higher up than before, and I lost the use of my hands, my triceps in the back of my arm. So, like, if I put my arm out in front of me, I can't straighten it. Right. And everything from the chest down. And this was how long after your initial accident? 13 months. Oh, my gosh. Right when we kind of had gotten everything that we were, our hope, our, yes. our dreams, our yeah. belief, all that starting to, it's less hope than it is now knowledge that now we have this knowledge that I am getting better. We're mm-hmm. seeing the progress. We're seeing the proof. And half of that was taken away from me again. And I have to admit at first, when I woke up in the hospital room by myself, my wife came in again and she told me what happened. <laughs> and the first three words I told her, was bring it on. Really? And I'm not saying that like I'm some great guy. It's kind of like in the movie where, you know, the whole climax comes up and then someone says something really cool and powerful. I've always wondered if I would do that. So I think I passed that test, but I said bring you it on. did pass And the that reason test. I said bring it on was simply, in my mind, it was better for me to break my neck twice than for someone else to do it once because I already know what I'm doing. I've been through this. I can do it again. I can do it faster and better. Give us a couple months. We'll be right where we were before. It's okay. Mm -hmm. And we went at it and we worked hard. They didn't tell you at that point, like you have these limitations or steal that hope away from you? Uh, No, they knew uh, the higher you go, the harder. The harder it's it's going to be. Okay. And uh, so I knew that, but I also knew I was getting movement back and I can do it again. So initially I was right after that second neck break, I was paralyzed all over again, but quickly I got back my biceps. Um, my shoulders were pretty good and I could move my wrist one way. I can pull it up, but I can't do it the other way. Mm-hmm. So I got that back quick and other than my middle finger every now and then I can't move my fingers. Yeah. So I mean, if you if get one work, that's a good one. <laughs> But I'll tell you, that that second neck break was harder than the first one, even though the first one physically was far harder, much, much harder. The second one, I think, is what hit me mentally the terribly. Well, I would imagine. I mean, when you say your first three words were bring it on, I feel like if I was sitting there, I would be like, why, God? I don't, you had to at least at some point, point have thought 
why me? Why am I being thrown this challenge? You had to have had some of those negative thoughts. Um, I don't know if I ever had terribly like negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Good I never, for you. I never, You're better than me. <laughs> well, I never thought that I, um, I never thought why, you know, God, how would you ever, why would you do this to me type yeah, of thing? Yeah. But I did think, okay, what, what is this about? Did I not learn it the first time? Sure. You had to hit me down again. And so what do I, what am I supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. To me, there was still a purpose. Why do I have this? Why did this have to happen? You had to find that purpose though. And, but I'm not saying that there's many nights, many days where I'm laying by myself, staring at a ceiling because I can't move that I, you think about a lot of different things. And after a few months when nothing else was coming back that's when it hit me and i started to wonder what it maybe it's better if i never would have made it through this maybe it's better if the first time i just broke my neck and i passed away because i don't want to lay in a bed the rest of my life i don't want to be so weak i never get to do, i don't want to be a burden on my wife and kids. Yeah. I, maybe it's better if I pass away or it wouldn't have happened because my wife needs a husband who can go mow the lawn. If she falls asleep on the couch, he can pick her up, take her to bed. My kids, my awesome two little kids need a dad that can go take them to the park and pick them up and throw them in the air and swing, push them on the swing. My daughter needs a dad who can stand up at her wedding and dance with her or teach my son how to throw a football. And I can't do that anymore. Right. So it's, this is what the hard part is. This is what we all deal with. And this is what everything comes down to is that we picture the way we want our life to be. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I always wanted to go hike up in the mountains above McCall and teach my son to fish in the lakes. Yeah. Like my dad did with me. Right, right. You're, you're an adventurous guy. I'm yeah, sure you had all I, those dreams of doing those things with your kids. And I do think that so many times in our lives, our, our disappointment comes from this expectation that life should look a certain way or family life should look a certain way. Being a parent should look a certain way. I know I've even struggled with uh, my ex-husband is is adventurous and I'm the type of mom that likes to read books and cook in the kitchen with my kids. And so I've thought, well, they probably like being with him more because he's more fun. Mm-hmm. And, but I wasn't realizing all that I could bring to the table, you know? And so sometimes it's just that we think it should look a certain way or that a certain way is better. Being that adventurous person and taking your kids hiking is better than doing something well, in else. In your case, you're putting... You're, you're making your kids up, minds up for them. Right. Right. You're telling, right. you're like, they like him more because he, this, that, or the other. Without even knowing that. Yeah. yeah. Or they may be like, are you kidding me, mom? I'd rather sit and read a book with you. Yeah. But you were kind of doing the same thing and thinking that you needed to dance with your daughter on her wedding day, or you needed to teach your son to throw a football and I'm sure they would much rather have you here than teach them how to throw a ball. 
Now, I'll tell you, I've never stood up and danced with my daughter. Yeah. Now, she's just turned 20. Mm-hmm. And uh, many times has she, have we danced together. And just like my wife will, they sit on my lap. Yeah. And I'll spin them around. Now, is it the same? Is it as, you know, like if I'm dancing with my wife that way, it's not as intimate. It's not as fun as I would want it to be. And there's times still that my wife will get up and dance with all the girls at a big song, and I can I can see how much fun she's having, and I wish I could be up there doing it too. Um, and that's hard on me. Yeah. I think there's times that it's always hard on us, but I also know this, that you should never... You, you should never compare yourself to another person and you should probably never compare yourself to the other person you wish you might have been. Absolutely. If that makes sense. Yes, because it does. A quote I love is, comparison is the thief of all joy. How true that is. Because it never, there's only two things that happen when you compare yourself to someone. Either you look at them and you put yourself above them. Mm-hmm. That I'm better than them. I have more of this. And they're not as good as me. Right. Or when you're comparing, you put yourself below them and you wish you had what they had and it makes you feel terrible and it pushes you even lower Mm -hmm. in your mind and in your life. Yeah. And I love that you bring up comparing yourself with, you know, your potential future self. You know, I I know I've battled that a lot where I've thought, ah, I thought I was going to be more successful or I thought I was going to have more money and I'm so disappointed in myself. And instead I need to focus on all the things that I have done and what I do have. And you know, it, you're absolutely right. And it's, that's hard. It's not easy to do. Um, like I can, I do uh, that's we're human though. That's what we do. We're, we judge and we compare all mm-hmm. the time. It's kind of, it's comes part, naturally, it's part doesn't of it? what we do. It's, yeah. but it's how you control that. And if you start to judge someone negatively or unfairly, stop. And you have to you have to change that and realize, like, I'm pretty good on the road now. So if someone cuts me off mm-hmm. and heading down the road, I don't use that middle finger I can barely move. <laughs> I, in my mind, I have to m- mentally do this, think, for all I know, that guy's got a pregnant wife in the car and they're rushing to the hospital. Yeah. Let him be. It's Okay. Now, was the guy a jerk and cut me off? Maybe, but maybe not. And I'll just let it go with that because otherwise you're holding anger inside of yourself. And it goes the same thing for what we're saying. If you compare yourself to the person you wanted to be or the one you you pictured since you were a little girl for Mm -hmm. you, that I'm going to have this wonderful family. I'm never going to have a divorce. I'm never going to have to deal with this stuff. Other people will do, but not me. And if you compare yourself to that person, you get you get anxiety, you get jealousy, you even get angry. Yeah. And you get angry at yourself because you didn't accomplish that. Right. Anger never, ever accomplishes anything positive. No. Ever. No, it doesn't. What was a turning point for you where you said, okay, I've, I've got to find purpose in all of this. How did you find that and what did that look like? Um, I started to realize that I can still, I, you know, I can still contribute mm-hmm. and I couldn't do the job I was doing. I tried a few other different things. I even worked at Lowe's for a while, but I couldn't do the stuff I wanted to there. And so I ended up leaving because I'm not a person that just follows. And 
I needed to be, I needed to, I don't know, I don't want to sound cocky in this. I needed to be a leader. I needed to be someone who, who's in the know, sure. who helps make decisions, who help does that, not just someone who's told what to do. Yeah, that's part of your personality. And I I actually believe that we need great leaders and we need great followers. I've tended to be a good follower in my life and I'm okay and with that. Okay. I'm not necessarily a leader, but I'm great. You give me directions and I'm going to get the job done. And, you know, so I think we need both. And Well, and no good leader ever gets anywhere without good followers. Right. Exactly. That's the part of I mean, that's how any war is one yeah. is having that. So you all come together. Um, I, I think if there was a turning point, there was no like magical moment. moment. Okay. But I know after a few years, after that second neck break, um, we had bought an, or built a new home that was accessible for me. We had a few acres that we'd built trails. On. I mean, it was awesome, but I wanted to be a motivational speaker because I knew that was something that I could do. Um, I didn't need to have my full body to do it. And I had a story. Not only did I have a, I broke my neck story and I'm paralyzed. I did it twice. That (laughs) not many people can say that That gives me a little bit of an edge over some of the others. Yeah. And not, not in a, you know, like prideful way, but it's, it's true. So why not use that? Maybe that's what the Lord had in mind by doing it twice. Mm-hmm. Is Nathan, I've got things for you to do, and this is how you need to do it. Exactly. But that doesn't mean it was easy. And I, so I was, because of my pain and because of some of that stuff, I was on some medication that would, they were trying to help that pain, but it was also an antidepressant. And I was on this for a few years, and my wife finally came to me and she said, Nathan, you're you're not you. Mm-hmm. You don't laugh. You don't cry. Wow. You're there. You're just void of emotion. And it's not like I just didn't do it. I, I coached my kids' soccer teams. Yeah. I went to all the events. I did all that, but I wasn't me. Mm-hmm. And there was a point I realized, and my wife even at one time and said, Nathan, um, I don't know if I've ever even brought this up ever on stage or anywhere else, but she had told me once, she said, Nathan, I feel like you cheated on me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she goes, I feel like I'm close to a divorce. And it just hit me. And I'm like, I don't even understand. What are you, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm trying, I'm being the best that I can. And she goes, but you, you keep promising that things will change and they're not changing. And I keep being patient, but you keep saying, don't worry, I'm, I'm working, starting a book or I'm working with someone or mm-hmm. I'm trying to get on stage. I'm working on my talks. I'm doing all this, but nothing you really were, happens. Yeah, you weren't taking the action that you needed and to. And it wasn't that I wasn't trying or I didn't want to. I did. And I didn't realize that I was kind of in a depression because I, I never wanted to admit that. Yeah. Who wants to admit that? Right. And my wife said, I think you're depressed. I'm like, no, I'm not. Are you kidding me? I go out with the kids all the time. I'm doing all this stuff. And and I, I realized it, that I would go into my office all pumped to work in the morning, and then five hours later, nothing had gotten done. And I decided at that moment I would rather live in more pain and be me than to have less pain and just be there. So I got off that medication. And that was the key for you. And the pain went up. 
Um, and my family made fun of me for the next month or two because my emotions were so like someone had start telling a joke mm-hmm. and, or a sad story. And I would just start bawling like just bawling. all over the place and I don't cry and I'm bawling. And they're like, why are you crying? I do a sad story. What are you talking? Why aren't you crying? <laughs> or something with just a little commercial on TV and I'd start laughing my head off. Well, that wasn't me, but it took a little bit and my, my body adjusted to not have been on that medication. Yeah. And I'm present. I'm living in the moment. I'm not there. I'm, I'm living. There's such a difference between just physically being there and going through the motions and being present. I've brought this up on the show before, but this was like a huge aha moment for me. I was going through relationship struggles, had been going through this for years and didn't really have the answers. And so I just kind of become a ghost in my house. And my daughter heard me laugh on the radio and she said, mom, you have such a cute laugh. I've never heard you laugh before. Oh. Yeah. Like a dagger to the heart. Dagger to the heart. I couldn't believe that she had never heard me laugh. And I thought, who have I become? Like, yes, I'm doing all the things. I'm making the meals and I'm picking up from school and I'm doing homework and I'm even playing, quote, playing with the kids, but I'm not present and I'm not showing them who I really am or who I can be. And that's who they want. And that's who they want. That is so much more important than going outside and physically playing basketball. If you're out there and you're physically doing it, but you're not there, who cares? Well, and that's, <laughs> it's like the book I just gave you. It, I wrote a book called Unfrozen. Mm-hmm. And that's my whole idea of this is that so too many times we allow our fears to control us yeah, and we become frozen. We become stuck and we love our little comfort zone that we're in because we don't want to go outside that because we may get hurt again. Right. We may get hurt for the first time. It may be worse and we don't want that. So we, we live with what we have and Les Brown says it perfectly. He says too many of us are not living our dreams because we're living our fears. And why would you ever fear being who you are? And so the title of is unfrozen and it, it just goes through everything that the things that I have learned of how to not live through excuses. Mm-hmm. Excuses are what control our life. Yeah. Everything we do comes down. We have fears, and then to justify those fears, we come up with excuses. I'm too old for this. I don't have time. I'm too busy. How many times do we say that? I'm two hands up, totally In this guilty. office here, I'm sure it said all the time, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. So for the next week, anyone listening, do this. Didn't, don't say the word busy. Say the word blessed. I'm yeah. too blessed. Wow. I'm so blessed. Oh. Because busy is a negative word. It blessed is. Blessed is a positive word. And you're never going to hear someone say, oh, man, I'm too blessed. No, no, right? I, I can't think of a time I have heard someone But in say, reality, you are. Yeah. Because there are people all over the world that wish they had the choices and the opportunities that you have. Isn't We that get true? to pick and choose where others, it's not even there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm too busy because I have this 
job that puts food on the table and a roof over our heads. I'm too busy running kids around. And yet, you know. you have kids. Yeah. How many women can't have kids? And a job and a house and food in the cupboard. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get to use my boat as much as I want. Right. What? Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Say, try that. I'm too blessed. I'm taking on the challenge. Rarely, I don't. I don't know if I can say that because I'd be a hypocrite, but that I say I'm too busy right now, or I'm very busy. I find a different word to say. Mm-hmm. And if you, every word you say matters in your life. Every word matters, whether it's a negative or a positive word, or it's just a, I'm okay. Yeah. Sure. Why not? Okay, my wife gets upset with me when I use those things. She's like, make a choice. Right. What Do you want to go? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> She's like, why don't you say yes? I'm like, I don't, I thought sure was yes. Mm-hmm. But it's, it is, but it's not as powerful. Yeah. It's not a decision. It's a, eh, okay, I'll go. But yes is, yeah, I'm in. I'll be present. Mm-hmm. I'll be I there. I want to be there. Yeah. Uh, since you bring up your wife again, I did want to talk about Heather a little bit because she just she's sound, who should be in here. She she sounds like one incredible woman, and you had to have had challenges, relationship challenges. You brought it up a little bit going through all of this. Um, just tell me a little bit about her and her perspective on things. Um, I think it's I don't understand most of what she has gone through. Um, she's told me some of it, but it's hard for me to grasp. Just like it's probably hard for her to grasp what I go through. Right. But um, I know this, that like one of the big things that she struggles with is that every time I get a cold or I even start to cough, if I just cough like you just did, mm-hmm. she that triggers something in her. Like Nathan's sick, he can get pneumonia, and he'll die. That fear. And it instantly there's something there. Or if I'm like, hey, you know what? I want to get pushed off this dock into the water. And she's like, but what if something else happens? Now, she lets me do a lot of things, and she's very she pushes me to do a lot of things too. But just two months ago, I broke my femur getting <sighs> in my truck. And uh, so things happen. Yeah. And you did, was that a pain? Heck yeah, that was a. I, I don't, think I don't so. feel the pain literally you guys do, but it's a whole different experience for me, which was very, very tough for us. Um, but I, I know for Heather, she is very fearful that I am going to leave, that my time's up. Because anything, especially in my condition, being a quadriplegic, now I don't always look like a quadriplegic, Cause I'll move my arms around and people think I'm a para. I'm just paralyzed from the waist down. I'll be honest with you. I was surprised when we met and you were moving your arms around. I thought, oh, I, I didn't think you'd be able to do that. So I have good shoulders and biceps. And so I'm able to, you guys can't see this, but I'm able to throw my arm and hold it mm-hmm. by using those muscles. Mm-hmm. But if I go too high, my arm just falls. Um, or if I have my arm out in front of me, if I want to straighten it, I drop my elbow and let gravity pull it out. So I've learned how to do that. And I can pick up a phone by lifting my wrist and it pulls your fingers together. So I've just learned how to take what you have mm-hmm. and maximize it. Right. And we all have to do that. You got to figure out, all right, I've been through a divorce. I've got two kids. I've, you know, what's going on in my life? Where, where are my strengths and how can I make those even better? Right. 
so that I can live the life I want to live. Don't give up on your dreams. Never give up on your dreams. I believe that if you, if you have a dream and you know everything you need to do to get to that dream, you're not dreaming big enough. Right. Your dream should be out there enough so that there is fear. Yeah. There's going to be disappointment. It's going to be hard. So if you know everything you need to do, you, that's not a dream. That's just a plan to get something done. A dream should be something that you got to figure out as you go. And it's so big that when you get there, it's not, it's not the trophy. Rudy, the Notre Dame football player who only yeah. really played like 40 seconds in his whole career. The one thing he's taught me, he's a friend of mine now, is that, um, that it's not the trophy. It's not getting your business going. It's not whatever that is. It's the feeling. You don't do it for the trophy. You do it for the feeling of winning that mm-hmm. game. For him, it was the win of the game. I wanted to win that game. I wanted to play. I wanted the feeling. I don't care about being lifted up on people's shoulders or any of that accolades. I just want that feeling of success, that feeling of I accomplished what I set out to do. And, uh, well, and I think with all of our dreams and, and, and in our trials, we have to find joy in the journey. I think it's so easy to say, I'm going to be happy when mm -hmm. I reach this goal. I'm going to be happy when my life looks like this, or I'm going to be happy when I get through this trial. Which is a lie. It is absolutely a lie. I don't, I can't even tell you how many times I've, I've accomplished dreams and then it's just, eh, I find something else that becomes the goal or the dream. And you're lying to yourself. If you can't be happy where you are right now, you'll never be happy later on. Yeah. hundred percent. That doesn't mean it's easy. So, um, this is what we did as a family. So all these tough things happen. Now to put it in also perspective is my wife and I always wanted to have four kids. Well, we had two kids. Then I break my neck two times. And we thought, I turned to Heather, I said, do you want to have two more kids? Because if we do, I can't get up in the middle of the night and help you. Right. Think about the big picture yeah, here. Yeah, a lot of this is on you. And she said, yeah, I do. And so we've been able to have two more kids of our own. Um, which is a whole different talk and a podcast, but we're not getting into that. Yeah, so we yeah. had two more kids. So now we have four kids, and two years ago this summer, um, we decided to do something big to help others. And we decided we needed to go outside of ourselves and help. And so we, we rode bicycles from Bend, Oregon, where I broke my neck at the ski resort, down to Santa Monica Pier in Los Angeles. Wow. 1,200 miles <laughs> we rode in 11 days. Now, not everyone, no one rode that whole way. We did it kind of relay style. Mm-hmm. As a family, we covered about 120 miles a day. And let's get this clear. We are not a bike riding family. Because when my wife came up with this idea, there's six of us in the family. We had three bikes and two of them had flats. <laughs> So you are not cyclists doing this no. every weekend I mean, type an, of thing. They're an athletic family. They're good at that. But yeah. And I have a bike. I've done a half triathlon before. Which is so incredible. I pedal with my arms. And so we, 
we did this to raise money for people who need wheelchairs in other countries mm-hmm. that don't even have the option, that their whole life is spent on a dirt floor and they never leave the room unless someone picks them up oh and my carries goodness. them. Or in some of these countries that it is, it's so sad, but if you're born with a deformity, like you, you're born without legs or spina mm-hmm. bifida, or in some of these countries where there's been wars, kids step on landmines or adults and their legs have blown off. Um, all types of different things that take place. It's a, if you can't provide for our family, you can't be a part of our family. And they will sell their wow. children. Because they don't see into value. Into different types of slavery and stuff. Oh. Or in rare cases, but it does happen, they'll take them out and leave them out in the bush. Because they can't provide for us and we need everyone's help. Shocking. But it's if you give someone a chair and we've seen this, we've we've helped it, they they're able to contribute and they are able to move around. They're able to start making baskets or whatever it is and then they're accepted back into their community and their society and in their it's family. Incredible. And in America, if you want a chair, you can get a chair. Right. You may not get the $30,000 electric chair you want. But you'll get a chair. Mm-hmm. But in other countries, it's not even a possibility. Well, so we raised $43,000 in those 11 days. To, and we gave it to the Wheelchair Foundation, who, who gives out wheelchairs throughout the world. And the only thing we, we made a deal with them, we said, we'll raise money for you, but we want to go on a trip to deliver them. Mm-hmm. And... So we did this big bike ride, which is a whole other story, and we raised the money. We come back, and we're kind of thinking we gave the money away to them, and we're kind of thinking it's all done, except for going on a trip. I go to a BSU football game a month later, down on the blue turf. They piggyback me out of my chair, down to a seat. At halftime, my pain's kind of high. My wife, who's no bigger than you, piggybacking me back up to my chair, Whoa. We come around the corner, and the chair is gone. Someone had stole my wheelchair. You know what? I remember hearing this yeah. story in the news. Like that it's was me. it's coming full circle. Okay, wow. And I remember my wife and I going to bed that night after we got home, and we just laughed and we just thought, "What does the Lord have in store now?" Yep. And it was awesome because it allowed us to meet different people, and we were able to raise some more money, and we had a big gala, and. So this little family from Meridian, Idaho, who Heather had some idea and we acted on it. Right. And that's important. Whenever you have a good idea, you have to act. Yes. The longer you wait, it will not happen. So we acted on it. We did something big for us, which brought our family together for 11 days. Our kids never fought. (laughs) That's a miracle. I know it's a miracle. And so all these things, and we were able to raise almost $100,000 in about eight months. Each wheelchair only costs $150, and that's delivered to the country. So do the math. That's an amazing deal. That's a lot of wheelchairs. So we were able to do that. And then, but we we went on a trip to uh, Mexico and delivered wheelchairs, 400 wheelchairs, and it was from the money that we raised. And that was a life-changing moment. And that's when my wife and I decided we need to as hard as this may be, we need to control that money. Mm-hmm. And we need to not do good just internationally, but we need to help our community here in Idaho. And 
also in other states around here, we've been able to help. And so we started our own foundation, like you said, called Chair the Hope, like a wheelchair. Chair the Hope. And there was a movie made about our bike ride and our trip to Mexico. And this, our, this nonprofit has just taken off. And it is amazing. And it's taken us throughout the world. We now take people on trips to go deliver wheelchairs and have a vacation. I just saw that on social media that you have a, an upcoming trip in November. Yeah, so we just got back from Costa Rica for spring break, and in November we're going to Peru. And how can people become involved in that? Uh, you can go to chairthehope.org, and we've got all the information on there. I mean, it's going to be so fun to go to the top of Machu Picchu, plus have three different distributions, giving out 300 wheelchairs. Oh, yeah. I can't even and imagine. Get to do all, and then we're going to... Mexico again, next spring break, Dominican Republic after that. We're planning in Africa and other places right now. So it, it's so fun to take just this one idea mm-hmm. and in an extremely short period of time, it is just blowing up. Well, and we talked about purpose earlier. I, you had to, with all of this, kind of have some of those moments where you're like, this is my purpose. Like if none of this would have happened... I could have never created Chair the Hope and I could have never, I would have never helped all these people. That wouldn't have happened had you not gone through that tragedy. I, I love those moments in life when you're on the other side of something really tough and, and your trials continually are, are right. difficult. But when you have those moments that you're like, oh my gosh, this, this is why this happened. Like this is, this is the purpose here. It's, it's amazing. It is. Feel that. And it, but a lot of times it's when you get to look back, like you said, yeah. you're on the other side of yeah. it. You don't recognize it at the time. You don't. You're fighting your way through yep. it. It's hard to see it. But because of, yeah, like you said, all of that, it's making that big. And becoming a motivational speaker is opening doors for me to share our nonprofit. Like just yeah. one week ago, I was speaking at a company not far from here. And after I got done speaking, the owner gets up and says, we would like to donate $27,000 to your nonprofit. That is a ton of so wheelchairs. Cool. And it's not just one life. You didn't just change one life with the wheelchair. You changed that family's life. So sure it's did. just like for me, if if I didn't have a wheelchair, my wife would be in so much harder position. Yeah. But since I get to move, I get to drive here on my own, she can be doing her own stuff. My kids can be doing their things. And because of my speaking that allowed opportunities like this. So all that came at the right moments in your life. You have to look at that. And people, people come at the right moments in your life. You have to realize that you're on a path through your life and you're weaving around and other people enter your path at the right moment. And totally believe that's whether you choose to accept that or not, you need to be a yes person. Too many times we're staying in that bubble we don't want to get uncomfortable, and we let it let them pass by. Yeah. Either two things are happening. Either they're there to help you and give you an opportunity, or you're there to give them an opportunity and change their life. Don't let those pass by. Be a yes person. Say yes to opportunities. Take hold of them. Act on them. Run with them. Make the life you want to be. Will it be the one you pictured? Probably not. But you know what? If you do it and you act and you you have purpose and you push forward and you do all of that, it will be better 
far better than you ever had dreamed in the first place. Yeah. So do I get to go fishing with my son in McCall? No, but you know what I'm doing in one week? We're flying down to California together. We're helping deliver some wheelchairs and work on some stuff there. And then we're going salmon fishing out of Bodega Bay in California. So cool. We still get to do it. It's just a little different. It doesn't mean just it's looks less a little special. Different. Yep. But it may be more special than we could have before. Yeah. Oh, so true. I'm going to join you on one of your trips. I don't know we how I'm going to do it, but I'm, I'm going. We want everyone on one of these <laughs> okay. trips. Okay. So how can people find out more about Chair the Hope and you and your story and your speaking throughout all your stuff? Uh, Chair the Hope is chairthehope.org. Um, and it's a nonprofit. Any donations are all tax deductible. Yeah. Um, but chairthehope.org is, we also are on Facebook, I think Instagram as well. Um, I'm not a huge social media person, but I know my wife, I do some of that. Sometimes it's necessary to get I know, the word and, out. And for me, it's Nathan Ogden, um, nathanogden.com. You've got any of the social media that you put in Nathan Ogden and there aren't many of me out there. And that's how people can find your so for book, to, Unfrozen, Unfrozen, and Chair the Hope. The Chair of the Hope movies are, should be on there. And uh, you'd love this movie. It's a it's a full length. It's a documentary, but it's it's better than like a documentary. I don't know. It's not docu- a boring documentary. No, it's like a, it's a fun. <laughs> we have many kids and parents who come up to us and say, when we we ask the kids, what do, what movie do you want to watch tonight? And they always say, we want to watch Chair of the Hope. Well, that's what I'm doing with my kids right after this interview. We're watching. So it is a, it's a fun family and that's what we want all this to be. It's not about me. I know I have to be kind of the face of it a little bit because of my brakes and my wheelchair and all that. But, uh, it's about families. It's about doing stuff together and making a difference. Not about one person. Right. Well, you are beyond inspirational and incredible. And I am so humbled and honored that you would be on this simple little podcast with me. So thank you so, so much. It's chairthehope.org. The book is called Unfrozen. Visit nathanogden.com and this man it's changes realized. lives. You're, but you're doing this podcast. You acted <laughs> on it. You had a feeling. That's you true. had a purpose and you acted yeah. on it. And yeah. it, it will be big. Thank you, you got it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining this edition of Not The Way I Planned. If you liked what you heard, you can find more at notthewayiplanned.com as well as Not The Way I Planned on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.